Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> Welcome to episode number three of the Forbidden Technique podcast. I'm Silas Martin with The Fight Site, joined by Christian Reynolds. And today, we're looking at the first UFC pay-per-view of 2022, headlined by the heavyweight title unification bout between Francis Ngannou and Cyril Ghosn, with the co-main event being the trilogy match for the flyweight title between Davis and Figueiredo and Brandon Moreno. So in the main event, this is about as high quality as a heavyweight title fight gets in MMA. We've got Two huge guys built like Greek gods, uh, two very athletic guys, but on different ends of the athleticism scale, and a real interesting style matchup with a lot of questions. Uh, so, Christian, you're the real Francis Ngannou whisperer here, so I want I want you to sort of get into what your perception of Francis Ngannou's game is, because I find him a fighter who's incredibly difficult to assess due to the just general uh, lack of extended tape on him, despite him having so many fights in the UFC. Uh. So I think that Nganu wants to be an aggressive counterpuncher a lot of the time, and most of his ability to bait counters just comes from his presence and being in front of you. He wants to walk at you, and then you throw things without him having to throw anything to get you to throw anything, which is like pretty easy to do at heavyweight generally. And the fight against Stipe was the first fight where he's actually shown ability to attack someone that isn't really throwing anything at him, aside from... Of course, the instances where he just kills someone in one punch in the first minute. He actually was able to maintain for about a round and a half, like picking someone apart from range and like punishing him for not being as active as he should have been, which he, he really hasn't gotten the opportunity to do in any of his other fights. And in his first fight with Stipe, he was just so inexperienced and really just didn't have the skill set to capitalize on the fact that he was able to hang around with his durability. And uh, surprisingly, his power was carrying through in the first Stipe fight, which most people don't seem to remember. He was landing good on Stipe throughout the fight. He was just too tired to be able to capitalize on anything, and he got taken down the second he landed anything clean, which I don't think is going to be much of a problem against Gon. And things like being able to kick the leg when his opponent's running away, incredibly useful against Cyril Gon. Cyril Gon's been getting leg kicked since his first UFC fight. Tanner Bozer was having success with it. Uh, and then also things like the right straight to the body he showed against Stipe in the second fight, very important, something that hasn't really been a, a huge part of his game throughout his career. He was turning the right straight uh, and the, the threats that, it, that came with it into meaningful offense. He landed a right hand to the head in the first round off of it in particular, which was very nice. And I, I think that he does best against an opponent that is going to throw things at him consistently and often put themselves on one leg, which Gon is susceptible to do. Uh, what do you think about Cyril Gon? Uh, Cyril Gon, another fighter I think is just generally quite misunderstood, uh, and a fighter that many of our fellow technique nerds absolutely lament at the kind of casual narrative that he's some kind of technical perfection at heavyweight. His game is a lot of um, just non-committal long-range strikes and just probing at people. Um, he likes just long straight punches, 
round kicks to mostly to the leg and body, but he will throw it upstairs sometimes, and uh, teeps. He does all of these things pretty comfortably off of both stances. He's like he's very ambidextrous in his approach to stance switching in the sense that what stance he's in doesn't necessarily inform his shot selection that much. That being said, he seems to have gravitated more towards being a dedicated southpaw, I think because um, open side body kicks are easier and he really likes to be able to tie up the lead hand. And um, I mean, a lot of MMA fighters, even in good divisions, really struggle to get their jab going against a southpaw who's actively jabbing with them and fighting with the lead hands. He's um, incredibly quick and agile for a six foot five, 250 pound man and like has a very natural feel for movement, but I feel definitely relies on his natural foot speed and agility um, and his mechanics with his footwork leaves something to be desired. When chased back with strikes, he is liable to just like sprint backwards in a straight line and rely on a foot speed edge. And if pushed to the cage, he has a nasty habit of turning his back and running. I also think he has a little bit of an issue where his offense doesn't build off of each other in that meaningful of ways. You really see this laid bare in the Rosenstruck fight where he won every round very easily by just keeping Rosenstruck on the end of that long, snappy southpaw jab. But he had someone who was just just standing on the cage, just staring at him, was terrified of him and just biting on everything. And he never really used it to build on anything if he wasn't getting any big moments. Um, he just would just put a couple of things out there um, at, a, at a pretty low pace and just win an easy decision which still there's credit due for uh, just having the discipline to do that for 25 minutes at that stage of his career. But there, there isn't the kind of um, using his feints and the reactions from his like long-range non-committal strikes to draw out reactions and then really start capitalizing on them as the fight progresses in the way that you'd like to see from a very educated striker. So the question still remains pretty obviously is can Cyril go and use those long-range strikes to just... Uh, pick at Francis Ngannou, limit the exchanges and not give Francis Ngannou counter-punching opportunities for probably 25 whole minutes since Francis Ngannou is incredibly durable and Cyril Gahn hasn't showed himself to be a particularly consistent finisher at the highest level unless people just get completely exhausted from him pushing a reasonably high pace for a heavyweight and putting out a lot of attritional damage. I don't think that he can safely do really much of anything against Nganu unless he's able to get Nganu's respect early, which I don't think he's going to. I think that Nganu is going to be very imposing in this fight and push forward most of like a majority of it. And I think anytime that they clinch up, it's going to be pretty pronounced advantage for Nganu. He's, he's way stronger than I think people are giving him credit for. He's not just powerful. He's also like maybe the strongest fighter in the division. And if Gon can match that, I think that will be very interesting because the clinch should be an area of, of strength for, for Gon, skill set-wise. But fighters like Alistair Overeem couldn't really do anything against Ngannou in the clinch because he was just way too strong and could just nullify no, no difficulty. And I think that if Gon isn't able to really get Nganu blinking and affect him with counters, then Nganu's just going to snowball and continue walking forward, doing an alright job of kicking the lead leg, probably, and hitting the body every once in a while, and then occasionally finding the head and finding massive moments. What about you? Yeah, that really is the thing, that it just feels like it almost needs to be a perfect performance from Cyril Gunn. I don't necessarily know that he can't afford to take a single shot from Nganu, 
because we saw in the first Stipe fight, if you do have a decent level of durability and can remain composed under fire, then I don't know necessarily that know that he can't afford to even get touched by Ngannou in the way that it seems like in some of his fight. But it definitely seems like Ngannou only needs to create a couple of really big moments to probably finish the fight or just or just swing the momentum in his favor in a way that Cyril Gunn's not going to be able to recover from, particularly without Cyril Gunn having the kind of reactive takedown game that Stipe Miocic was able to look just wear on Ngannou with. I also just think that Gunn's liabilities with his footwork really stand to uh, make him very susceptible to getting knocked out the exact same way that Jairzinho Rosenstruck did, which is a, a knockout that people just like dunk on Francis Ngannou for because it looks very silly mechanically. But it was also just like the perfect read against someone who was just going to like skitter backwards in a straight line and rely on counter punches to be able to scare the opponent off. That's just that's not going to work against Francis Ngannou if he's committed to just chasing you down with punches. And unless he's just too technical to do that, I don't see why that wouldn't just work against Cyril Garn. Um, you know, even if he is just like getting jabbed and low kicked from miles away and having trouble closing distance, if, if at some point he just realizes that he really just needs to chase the guy down, I think he's going to catch him horribly out of position and probably knock him dead. And something to note about Gan's defensive liabilities is that he's he's like very exaggerated with a lot of his head movement. He'll dip completely to the side and like basically be bending over to get out of the way of strikes. And that's kind of the type of defensive reactions that most people have against Nganu is just very exaggerated. Like, please get me away from this guy. He's about to hit me really hard. Like Junior Dos Santos got knocked out while basically turned around. Uh, the Cain Velasquez fight, he ducked at the leg so quickly that he just ate a kind of clipping punch on the side of the head and then went limp for a second. So people fight in Ganu very scared. Like Overeem was fighting terribly because he was recognizing he had to keep his chin away from him at all times or else he would die. And then he ended up kind of making it happen because of how panicked he was against him. And that's something that I think Gan is he just kind of does himself. He, it's not even matchup dependent. He just wants to get all the way out of the way of strikes, which is something that Ngannou, I think, can capitalize on. And in, for the grappling, I, I don't really think there's enough on either guy grappling for anyone to have like a confident read on exactly how it could match up, other than it's probably not going to take a lot of grappling for big damage to come off. And if damage is happening on the ground, it's probably Francis knocking him out. Okay, so both picking Francis and Garnu, but definitely an interesting matchup, about as good as he gets in this division. And there are some intangibles that could lead to Gon being very in the fight, such as, you know, they've trained together before, or maybe he, he just has something for Francis that we haven't thought of. Always possible. You, you can never perfectly predict a heavyweight fight unless you just guess it's going to be a knockout in the first round, which is my pick for Francis Ngannou, who's knockout in the first round. Yeah, it's, it's normally the safe pick. So in the co-main event, a uh, trilogy title match with a, a lot of questions still around it, Brandon Moreno uh, making his first title defense against Davis and Figueredo, who he won the title off in their second fight. Their first fight was reasonably competitive, although probably should have been a win for Figueredo, even with the point deduction. 
which I think uh, really coloured people's view of the second fight in which Figueredo just looked a little flat and got dropped with a jab and ended up getting rear naked choked. However, I think it really undercuts all of the really smart decisions that Brandon Moreno made between the two fights to navigate that matchup to just say that Figueredo is just shot or weight drained or whatever it might be. <laughs> Particularly since it really isn't the first time that Davis and Figueredo has been neutralized by a solid positional grappler and just looked a little flat on bottom. So, um, Christian, what do you think about the shape of this fight that's been painted by the two fights that they've had so far because they were quite different? I think at this point, it's very hard for Figueredo to pressure Moreno. It feels like Moreno's just got the respect on the feet to be able to maintain his position. Uh, the biggest difference between the first and second fight is, in my eyes, is that Moreno starts the fight holding his ground a lot more and Figueredo can't really get the type of leads off that he normally gets. He wasn't able to just step in, throw really hard and land like he was in the first fight for large portions. And Moreno was a lot more active about his jab. He was he was really working on getting the timing on his jab. He kept it just out there even when he wasn't trying to land it, just to keep range. He he always has been like a competent kicker. He he likes to kick the arms a bit, but I'm not sure if it's on purpose or if he just kicks a little slowly because he, he he has a very exaggerated switch before he throws his head kick with from the left side. But he he had very he just had a, a smart approach in the second second fight compared to the first fight, where he came in more wanting to, you know, wear on Figueredo, just let Figueredo get drawn out late. He tr fought the first few rounds kind of defensively, and then opened up more as the fight went on. Whereas in the second fight, he just had the confidence to go forward, stand his ground, and throw back. And something that he caught onto in the first fight, pretty much immediately, was the body lock takedown, and. Moreno just kind of got put on the fence anytime that Figueredo really intentionally tried to pressure him in the first fight, and Moreno would just duck and then body lock him if his back touched the cage, which is, it, it worked almost every time, and Figueredo's main response to standing up from that position was to eye gouge him until Moreno let him stand up, or the referees did, stood them up. So I think that the third fight is going to be Moreno probably elaborating on how he solved him kind of in the second fight. And I think it will be Figueredo trying to get back to what helped him in the first fight, like body work early, um, ma really maintaining position and not giving a lot of ground, which he gave way too much of in the second fight. And also trying to stop the body lock, hopefully. I think that would make the fight a lot more entertaining if Figueredo can consistently defend the body lock, which he's never shown the ability to do. So what about you? How do you think the fight's going to play out? Yeah, so I, 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 t I tend to agree that Moreno really just kind of had his number in the second fight. It was a, certainly a, a much, just a much flatter looking performance from Davis and Figueredo in the first fight where, like you say, he um, really committed to body attrition early, which had him looking the fresher fighter in the fifth round. And um, yeah, really just committed to concerted pressure much more consistently. It, it seemed like in the second fight, he wanted to play the early rounds more defensively for whatever reason. And it just seemed like um, Moreno building on his successes from the first fight and just having a full camp to prepare because, of course, the first fight was on three weeks' notice after they had fought on the same night three weeks prior to that fight. So I just think of the two fighters, like Figueredo, he, he seems to fight very instinctually. I, I don't know that having a long time to game plan 
is something that particularly benefits him, whereas it seems like Brandon Moreno is someone who really makes a lot of specific preparations for his opponent. So, so yeah, him just, as you say, standing his ground, committing to jabs early, like countering with jabs every time Figueredo tried to step in, which ends up getting him dropped. And, of course, the body lock, which really did seem like something Moreno figured out by accident in the first fight. As you said, every time he got pressured to the cage and needed to get some space, he would just kind of, he would just kind of bundle forward and take Figueredo down very easily. And Figueredo's main way of getting up was to just poke Brandon Moreno in the eyes. So yeah, uh, um, I think Moreno really uh, built on his successes in very intelligent ways, and it just seems like his fight to lose at this point. And in the way that he eye poked in the first fight and then nut kicked him later on. It feels like a lot of his responses in the first fight were to cheat to get out of the situation. And then in the second fight, those weren't really available because it was known by the referees, I'm sure, that he's probably going to cheat if he gets put in bad positions. So he was just going to get a point taken sooner. And that Moreno uh, adjusted his takedown so that Figueredo couldn't uh, defend with the cage grab in the second fight. Yeah, there's one part in the first fight where Figueredo is grabs the cage, but he grabs it with an underhand grip, kind of stopping himself from getting lifted. And then in the second fight, Moreno adjusted that by dragging him down instead of trying to lift him and then take him down. Which is a really crafty read that I'm not sure if he intentionally did, but either way, it was very cool. Okay, so what, what adjustments would you like to see Davis and Figueredo make to make this a more favorable matchup? Spam the body, the, like the body kick specifically, because it was there, and I don't think that's what is his issue for getting taken down. I think he can kick pretty safely without giving up too bad of positions, and he's not inert on the ground when he gets taken down. Like He can stand up even without the eye pokes. It's just normally it, it, it's harder for him. So I think that he can get a lot of work done pressuring, kicking the body, working the uppercut that he had some success with in the first fight. His body punching in the first fight was really, really good. Moreno didn't like it, but he had the composure to just eat it. And a lot of the things that Moreno, you know, he, he, he performed a lot better, but it wasn't an infallible performance. If Figueredo could find the moments on the feet, maybe counter a good jab early on, or, or maybe work low kicks, which he's training with Cejudo now, and it seems like Cejudo's main adjustment for people is you should throw low kicks and wrestle. So maybe he'll try and throw low kicks and wrestle, which I, I don't think that would be enough to help him. Okay, so next up in the bantamweight division, we have Saeed Namagamedov taking on Cody Stamen. So Saeed Namagamedov, really one of the uh, anti-Dagestan <laughs> Dagestan fighters. His game is primarily just moving around on the outside and throwing a bunch of big, flashy individual techniques, lots of taekwondo stuff, spinning kicks, spinning back fists. But he has a just clear, fundamental, solid wrestling base that he uses to back it all up. So you know, he, he's not a fighter whose shot selection is limited by the fact that he's fighting MMA and he feels like he can't do certain things because he just has that technical base to back it up. And then you have Cody Stamen, who's really kind of just a, a stock wrestle boxer in most ways. Um, and, that, you know, it's it, it's mainly just fairly meat and potatoes, kickboxing and uh, trying to get takedowns, but without much of a sense of directionality or a particularly venomous top game when he is able to get takedowns. Saeed Namagomedov d- definitely struggled um, significantly against Hany Barcelos. 
who mostly just kind of pressured him with a medium pace of low kicks and uh, tried to step in to grab body locks whenever Saeed would uh, throw himself off balance or turn his back to to throw kicks or weird spinning techniques. Seems like something that could work for Cody Stamen if he isn't just stranded on the end of, end of someone who has a pronounced speed advantage and just uh, a decent bit of height and reach on Cody Stamen. Well, what do you think? I think... It's. I think it's more likely to be him stranded on the edge of range because it's the first person, to my knowledge, that he's fought that has the same type of game that Saeed has. Saeed, Saeed has really cool kicks. Like the mechanically, they're they're definitely all right. I don't like his process behind them. It's it's more just to throw them than to do anything super innovative with it. But he kicks long. He, he kicks pretty fast. His kicks are decently powerful. I think he's going to have a good amount of success kicking Stamen at range and Stamen just not really being able to close the distance. And I think that if Cody does start getting good entries, it won't really amount to any, enough for him to win a decision. Although, I do remember in his last fight, he, he seemed to put on a lot more of a pace than he normally does. Just had a, like a different intensity than he generally fights with which was nice to see, and I hope we see in this fight so that it's more entertaining. I'm going to pick Saeed by maybe second-round body kick finish, but it's more likely to go to decision. I'm just always going to pick finish. I think I'm going Saeed by decision just to be able to keep Stamen on the end of his range and to be able to defend the takedowns if it gets there. And so moving on, the curse of Hanny Barcelos continues. Uh, this is a guy who a lot of people thought had some real promise in this division and just really hasn't been able to get a break with the matchmaking, particularly coming off of an unfortunate and really quite questionable split decision lost to Timor Valiev. But um, Hany Barcelos beat Saeed Namagomedov. They're fighting on the same card, but Saeed is getting the perennial gatekeeper fight against Cody Stamen to the, should get him into the rankings if he wins it. So... I don't know which matchmaker's wife Hanny Barcelos fucked, but he's fighting Victor Henry. Not a particularly heralded opponent, but definitely someone incredibly dangerous, making their UFC debut, but with a good amount of experience in other promotions, such as Ryzen. And Hanny Barcelos, um, I think he's also someone who wants to be an aggressive counterpuncher, but I think he has the problem that, particularly early in a fight, his defense, while it's, while it's pretty good in a vacuum, it doesn't connect to his offense in the ways that you'd like to see. He's definitely someone who, if you can throw a bunch of volume at him, he will just like try and slip it all perfectly and then wait his turn to throw back. And sometimes he just like finds himself a little bit behind in exchanges because he's clearly a quite defensively focused fighter. This is something that you'll kind of see you'll kind of see him put these pieces together more and more as the fight goes on, but he's not someone who pushes an incredibly high pace. Um, even though most people thought that he should have taken it, this is what lost him the fight against Timor Valiev, who was happy to just put out a bunch of very visually impressive and weird volume, Mark Henry style, to just kind of keep Hanny Barcelos mostly on the defensive. So, Christian, what do you think about Victor Henry? I think he's really cool. I, I, so his base style seems to be he wants to outfight, but if he needs to come forward, he definitely can. He has tools to get himself into range somewhat safely. 
He has a very nice kicking game. He likes to alternate the snap kick, the low kick, the head kick, and they all play off of each other quite well, which is something you always love to see. And he's, he's been around for a very long time, so he just has way more experience than your average fighter making their debut in the UFC. He's like 21-5, and five, and he's, he's mostly known as a finisher with his really slick submission game and overall just pretty aesthetically pleasing grappling game. I think that his best area is definitely when he's when he has someone on the ropes and he feels like he's about to finish them, because his shot selection really tightens up whenever he sees someone is showing any weakness. Like he'll land a strike, and then the next three seconds he looks like a completely different fighter who separates from his normal process of throwing very controlled kicks and then occasionally boxing into range, landing a few good punches and then just starts landing lightning counterpunches that are really nice, nice to look at. I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to hurt Hani Barcelos, because it's, it's probably the best defensive fighter he's, he's fought. Although I do think there are things he is going to provide in the matchup that are going to give Hani a lot of pause. I think the kicks in particular, because Hani Barcelos' leg is kickable. It's a, a big issue he has is he'll move his head, and then his leg's just there to be kicked, and he'll eat a hard leg kick. And in the grappling, I think that Hani is going to have a strength advantage, but it's, it's very hard to tell before the fight because we just need to see how, how they match up physically. But I, I do think the actual skill set matchup on the ground is going to be very interesting. It's a lot of Hani Barcelos who likes to establish good positions and then maybe work for Rina Gachoke, whereas Victor Henry can go for any array of submissions and really utilize his flexibility and and experience on the ground to get good positions. Uh, how about you? How do you, what do you think about this fight and how it plays out? Yeah. So, um, I think Victor Henry being, um, someone who will commit to a lot of varied volume early while, um, being reasonably defensively responsible, I think is going to be an issue for Hanny, particularly since Victor Henry is also pretty well versed in the clinch. I think that can be a safety zone for him when, Hanny decides to start firing back. I do think Hanny could potentially have some success running a similar game plan to how he beat Saeed Namagomedov by just low kicking with Henry and like um, trying to get body locks and establish lockdown positions whenever Victor Henry puts himself off of balance kicking. Um, but like you said, Victor Henry's a very sneaky grappler. He will get taken down and he'll give his back, but he's very good about sc scrambling free and he's very sneaky with sweeps and just a lot of like cool old school jujitsu stuff you don't see a lot in MMA these days. So um, I think Victor Henry really might take this, but he, like you say, he is someone who's mostly relied on finishes and can tend to give up decisions if people can hang around with him. Hanny Barcelos is very tough and can look after himself. So it's a good fight. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how exactly to make a pick for this fight. But I do feel like it's more likely that Hani wins if the fight goes past the second round. And I think if the fight gets finished, it's probably going to be uh, Victor Henry landing something really cool. I don't think that he's going to be able to submit Barcelos. And I also don't really, I don't really think he's going to have like, necessarily the power to hurt Barcelos. Because Barcelos is hard to hit. He's a decent defensive fighter. I just think that maybe Victor Henry can can out volume volume him to get later on 
And it's not like Victor Henry has a huge cardio issue. That's the reason for him losing decisions. It's more just a function of him wanting to get finishes and sometimes being susceptible to just dropping a decision because he was either too patient or got nullified to a degree. Okay, so the next fight we're going to talk about is a featherweight matchup between Ilya Teporia and Charles Jordan. And I got to say, Charles Jordan has got some serious balls taking this fight on, I think, just over a week's notice. This was supposed to be Ilya Teporia versus Mofsar of Luev. And Jordan filling in very late notice, um, having fought, I think, only last month against Andre Yule. Ilya Teporia, one of the most well-regarded prospects at featherweight, if not in the UFC right now, has had a pretty impressive run of three wins in the UFC so far. He seems maybe a little undersized for the division, but he's incredibly physical. He's a, just a squat, powerful man. He's physically strong. He hits very hard, and he has a very functional style with just a couple of simple pieces that fit together. He mostly likes to pressure people along the cage and cut them off with hooks and body shots, and he's just a solid wrestler and top-controlled grappler. Charles Jordan, on the other hand, is just a, is a fucking wild man, definitely with some underrated craft. His offense is primarily uh, a lot of crazy kicks from Southpaw. He does like a lot of jumping kicks and flying knees and stuff, and then mostly wants people to try and close the distance past his kicks so that he can bang in the pocket with them. Um, Jordan has clearly struggled with uh, people who have committed to pressure and body shots against him. This is something you've seen pretty consistently in his fights with, I mean, two very different fighters in Julian Arosa and Marcelo Rojo. Um, so I do generally think that Teporia is a pretty rough style matchup for him. But I also think Jordan, this being one of his first fights in the UFC where he'll have a pronounced height and reach advantage, um, being a dedicated kicker, like someone who will actually uh, kick the arms attritionally, uh, someone with a pretty good defensive team could be difficult for uh, for Ilya Teporia to close distance on the longer, taller guy who's just kicking him a lot. Since Teporia did somewhat struggle with someone who, like like a long, mobile, kicky dude in uh, Yusuf Salal, even though he ended up winning that fight quite comfortably. But it is notable that late in that fight, he maybe gassed a little bit from his own success and was looking a little ragged along the cage and was maybe trying to coast out the last round, which is just not something you want to do against Charles Jordan because he is a fucking shark. And when he senses weakness, he will just pour on offense and he will just not let up like uh, uh, against someone who's like trying to coast along the cage against him. So I do think it's a rough style matchup for Charles Jordan, particularly taking it on such short notice and just being just not a particularly imposing physical force in the featherweight division. But um, how, how do you think about how they match up? And what do you think Jordan can do? I think that the matchup trends generally towards Tapuria for a lot of the reasons that you said, such as the body work. And then, of course, the, the eight days notice or so that he's fighting on. I think a longer training camp benefits Jordan a lot in the matchup. He seems to be a fighter that studies his opponent quite well. And Tapuria's his style is a bit more one-size-fits-all. Of course, he, he makes some adjustments based on his opponent. Like, if he's fighting Ryan Hall, he's not just going to engage on the ground for the entire fight. He's going to pick his spots to engage with them. And he, he's not just going to plow forward trying to kill him. He's going to take it a bit more measured. And I think against Jordan, that's the opposite of what he needs to do. I think he needs to really try and put it on Jordan early. 
and attrition him so that by the time they get to the third round, Jordan just has less in the tank to become a Cheeto Vera-esque third round finisher. Because he is incredibly violent in the third round. He enters like a berserk mode whenever he thinks his opponent is even slightly capitulating. And it's really amazing to see. It's it's very fun fighting style to watch, but I just get the sense that he's going to get outworked early and then gas way harder than Tapuria by the time they get to the third round. So I think even though Jordan has a lot of tools that he's going to be able to land effectively and consistently, such as the defensive team, as you mentioned, and I and, and his jab, I also don't think that he's going to be getting taken down very much by Tapuria. I could be wrong. I could it also could be short notice leading to him getting taken down a lot more freely. But Jordan's generally pretty balanced about not getting taken down. He does fall over when he does kick sometimes. But he he's not the type of guy that is gonna stop kicking just because someone can wrestle him. So I think the the short notice is going to play a lot more of a factor in the fight than most fighters even. I think a lot of people just kind of have their style work independently of whether it's short notice and they'll just maybe fight worse because they get tired. While Jordan really just needs to kind of study his opponent a bit more. Yeah, so it's going to be a rough out for Jordan, but he is a wily opportunist. He does a lot of attrition and he's someone who, if you start to flag against, it's going to snowball on you. So, I mean, it should just be a fucking banger. Should be a great fight. I agree. So as for the rest of this card, we're just going to do a couple of quick hits. Um, If you do want to hear a more detailed breakdown of every single fight on this card, those fucking psychopaths, Dan and Fania, will be doing that. So go check that out also on the Fight Site Podcast Network. So Michelle Pereira, Brazilian meme legend, is taking on Andre Fialo, who many of you may know as uh, James Vick's final knockout loss on the regional scene after he was cut from the UFC. Um, there's maybe not a ton to say about this fight matchup-wise, but Michelle Pereira is, I want to say, always fun. Um, he definitely has a weird thing where, give, given certain matchups, he will just like shut down and fight like a complete coward. Um, wh- wh- what do you think about this one, Christian? I think this matchup is as simple as Michelle Pereira. It's one of his two things that he, or like four things that he does that's actually a part of his game that isn't just in the moment dynamism. And that is, he, he will throw a jab straight. He will occasionally do a jab to the body that is straight to the head. And Fialho, in the three fights we watched for tape study, was getting hit by every single straight punch thrown at him. So it's a very loose read, but it's, it's consistent, it, it seems. And I don't really think he's going to have the physicality to be taking down Pereira, although I could be wrong. I think it's just going to be Pereira trying to land a one-two, and then if he sees an opportunity to do like a, a backflip knee or some silly bullshit, then he'll take it. But generally, I don't expect Fialho to have much in the way of like a matchup advantage in any regard. No, I mean Fialho. He seems pretty tough and um, quite committed to forward pressure. I wouldn't. I also wouldn't be entirely surprised if. Uh, he was able to recreate something similar to what Dushko Todorovic was able to do against Michelle Pereira, which is just back him up into the cage and throw hooks. Yeah. But um, Michelle Pereira, you know, has a better chin than James Vick, at least. Yeah, I, I think the main issue for picking the fight is that any result in a Michelle Pereira fight is completely understandable. If he got knocked out by 
Jussier Formiga in his next fight, would you be that surprised? Like, I think uh, he can just kind of win or lose to anyone by any method, it feels. And in this fight, he's... I think he's going to have a kicking advantage, definitely. He's he's very fast. He, he kicks hard. He likes str- straight kicks. I don't think Fialho's really going to wrestle him very well. I think it's just a weird short-notice fight after a fight got canceled. I don't think there's that much to say about it. So also on the prelims, another uh, contender series debutant who we spotted in his contender series fight, someone who we think has a decent amount of potential. Um, at welterweight of all divisions, uh, a division that just desperately needs good prospects. So, Christian, what do you think of Jack Della Maddalena? So, Jack Della Maddalena is a, a pretty competent boxer that can fight from both stances. He has decent defensive reactions. He's hittable in the sense that you can put shots on him over the course of a 15-minute fight, but he's he's not an easy target. You really have to have something for him dynamic to be able to land on him. He has great body work. He counters off of his defense, which is incredibly uncommon in MMA. He seems ridiculously tough. And as a grappler, he's crafty enough that I don't expect him to just have a, a really bad loss in the UFC again, the first time he fights a decent grappler. I know nothing about his opponent. This is mostly just to convey that he is a fun fighter to look out for. Okay, so that's all we're going to discuss from this card today. Like I say, if you want a breakdown of the full card, then check out Dan and Fanyos. And if you want a more in-depth analysis of the, of the main event, then I think Iggy's going to be doing that over on Tangredome. As always, if you enjoyed this content, then consider supporting the fight site on Patreon. Uh, for just a small pledge, you get access to a very large library of high-quality analytical fight content. We also have a Discord server and a great community full of cool people who are interesting, know lots of things about fights, and fun to watch fights with. So yeah, support the fight site on Patreon. Come hang out on Discord. Peace out.